Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Thanks, Han. Thanks, Matt. Fantastic. Well, it's my privilege this morning to bring something of God's word to you. And as you're probably aware, if you've been following the, the YouTube channel that we're in the middle, or just begun starting to look at this book of Daniel. And our, our title is entitled uh, Strange Strange Times, Strange Lands. I think this also could be titled Strange Book, because if you've ever delved into Daniel, then let's face it, it's kind of weird, and there's lots of stuff going on there. And this morning I've got chapter two to look at, and uh, there's a lot in there. So we're not going to be able to cover everything that's in there this morning. But briefly, by way of it, as an intro, Junius explained last week, we've seen the people of Israel taken out of their city, out of the place which, well, their culture, their society, their experience focused around the Hebrew God of the Bible, and they've been taken into exile to a city in existence that's far from their comfort. In fact, actually, you could even say hostile to their God, their culture, their lifestyle. And for the people of God, the question facing them is how do they live amongst these folk? How do they do that and still hold on to their their values, their culture, their faith? And it's a good question, and I'd suggest to you today that it actually it's a question that we need to answer ourselves. So I don't think we have to go back very far to be able to say that actually our culture, our nation, or not very far long ago, was in the most part supportive, encouraging, and affirming of our Christian heritage and our beliefs. But I don't think you can say that now. In fact, I would suggest most observers would suggest exactly the opposite. And so this morning as we looked at chapter 2, I want to zoom in a little on that question. How can, should we live today as Christians in, if you like, a pluralistic, polytheistic, unbelieving world and bring some observations? And of course, we will also explore how Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation We'll explore that because I think that actually speaks into that question as well. How then should we live in this world? So but first, we're going to listen to Joe. Now, I've abbreviated the passage that he's going to read to us this morning. Otherwise, we could be here for a long time. But Joe's going to speak to us now and bring us the word of God. Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 to 35. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so your majesty may know the interpretation and you may know what was going through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, 
its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving the trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And now from verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to any other person. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. This great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal the mystery. Fantastic. Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 to 35. Of course, that wasn't Joe, that was Nathan. Sorry, Nathan. Um, and uh, very well read indeed. So some backstory briefly before we get into that text. So the first thing that people have did that from people of Israel did is they got to the city as they settled down outside the city of Babylon. And as time went by, some prophets rose up amongst them. And in Jeremiah 28, we can read that the prophets, Hananiah, who was the main prophet, said to the people, you know, don't move into the city. We are believers in that, and the, the city is a pagan city, and it's a source of the Babylonian culture. Have nothing to do with it. Stay out, stay away, keep apart, pray against it. And uh, prophets foretell that if we do do these things, then we will overcome, and we will come out on top, and before too long, God will judge the city, and we should pray against its existence, pray for its downfall, and, and we will overcome. And then there's this really interesting part in Jeremiah where, the real prophet, Jeremiah that is, the anointed prophet of God, speaks and he speaks in complete contrast to Hananiah and the other prophets. And we're just going to read this together. If you've got a Bible handy, it'll be good to do that. Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is what Jeremiah says. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, Eat what they produced, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners amongst you deceive you. And there's three really astonishing things there. And one of them Julian highlighted this week, last week in fact, was that I carried you. He says, God, I carried you in there. There's a bigger picture of what's going on here. I took you there. It's my plan for renewal. And it needs to happen in order that I can bring renewal to you and change to you and to them. It's part of my plan to 
bring my kingdom into this world. I've decided it's a big plan. I've taken away Christendom and the cultural parasite, but there's a purpose behind it. And he states that right at the beginning. And then he says, and then he says something which I think is quite profound and something I want to really think about this morning. You see, I think that we assume there are two choices. Either we assimilate or we separate. But it seems Jeremiah is pointing to another way. God clearly says to the people of God in Jeremiah, don't lose your identity, don't melt into the background. He says, increasing number, know who you are, stay in covenant relationship with me, but move in. Be deeply involved in the life of the city. Seek its prosperity economically, numerically, culturally. Raise your families there. Get involved. Don't just assimilate though, but don't be separate. Don't hide on, close. There's another way, engaging the life of the city, but in this distinct way as my people with my values. Now, of course, the question raised there immediately is, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? But God says, you know, don't love me and hate the city. Love me and love the city. Do, do both. And there's even more because he says, well, how do you do that? Well, pray for the city. Seek its shalom. He, you've heard me say this before, I'm sure, many times. Shalom doesn't just mean peace. There's a whole lot more to it. It's a holistic thing. It's comfort, hope, prosperity, well-being, sanctuary, joy, security. What he's saying to the people is this. I don't want you just to go there and grow your little churches in the city. I don't want you to, I want you to put your lives on the line for this place. Love it, help it, nurture it. Pray for its blessing, not its destruction. Don't, don't shake your finger at it, but clasp your hands together for it. Pray for it. Wear them out for it. And then we come to chapter 2 and we see Daniel. And there's this guy, Daniel, and he's a prophet, a wise man of the city, it seems. And he believes in the one true God. But if we look at his life and we look, we look closely, which we haven't got time to see this morning, you know, we see this guy who's completely committed, he's monotheistic, he's completely committed to the sovereign God, and yet his job is such, well, he's in the civil service, he's in government, he's, a, he's one of the wise men. He went through the trainings that have to be gone through the, in the Babylonian culture. He's deeply involved in the city. He's part of the people who run the city. He's part of the establishment. And I want to pick up on this because I think there's a lot of us, there's a lot of Christians here today who will say, well, we shouldn't get involved in that way. In fact, to be getting involved in that, well, perhaps we'll be polluted. Perhaps, perhaps that would just water our faith down. Well, perhaps we would be contradicting or even compromising who we are as the people. But what the passage in the Bible is saying and what I think this story speaks into is Daniel is a believer who is engaged in in fact, I think he's mastered, he's understood, he's understood all the cultural stuff of the Babylonian city, the worldview, and yet he's kept himself distinctive, it would seem. So how did he do that? And how do we do that? Well, I think the Jeremiah's blueprint in chapter 29, those verses, gives us, if you like, it seems to be a blueprint for Daniel's life, and it gives us some, some ideas around that. The thing isn't binary. The thing isn't either assimilation or separation. There's something else. I'm trying to give an illustration of this, and I was thinking about this, and 
over the years, I've spoken with lots of musicians as part of my role as a pastor here. And now, I, for some reason, musicians seem to have gathered. And I've spoken to them and chatted through a number of questions with them. And one of the questions I get from them is, well, when I'm trying to do my job, I'm a musician, how do I try to do my job? How do I decide? What types of music do I play? What don't I play? What gigs should I do? What one should I leave alone? What type, of, what type of venue should I go into and play? What type of celebration should I be part of? What are the rules? And here's the thing. If you never ask the question, how does the cross and the gospel and the theme and my worldview in, in light of those things influence how I work, well, then you've assimilated and you've decreased, as Jeremiah says. But you might well say, well, show me the rules and then I'll do all the rules and then I'll be safe. But of course... There isn't a rule book as such. There are some rules, of course, things like, you know, don't murder, don't lie, don't have sex outside marriage. But there's no specific rules for Christian musicians and about how they should conduct themselves as such in their environment. It's the same for businessmen. There isn't a book of the Bible that's like the book of businessmen. There's lots of pointers and help. See, the thing is, we have to do the hard working out of our responses as we look to look out in the world. Our responses, the way we handle, think out this stuff, work it out. Otherwise, what we have to do is separate ourselves. And God doesn't call us to do that. God calls us to be Daniels and work out our lives in the midst of this culture. See, God here has spoken. He said, get involved. Be involved into the detail of society, work with it, understand it, bring it to life, ensure it succeeds and prospers and blooms. But do it with your distinctive worldview. Do it with your influence. And that's really hard. I think as Christians, often we, we live in this, this difficult place where we're trying to do that, but we're fearful because we don't want to let those things rub off on us and maybe taint us and and yet we don't want to not be in it because we feel like we should. And how do we, how do we walk that? How do we deal with that? So here we find Daniel. At a senior level in this king's household, in this, this government household. And then we get to a dream. And we need to talk about the dreams. We've talked a lot already and really the passage is about the dream. So the way most Christians read this dream is this. There's a kingdom of gold, there's a kingdom of silver, there's a bronze kingdom, there's an iron clay kingdom, and a rock comes and smashes the iron clay kingdom. And so what we have to do is figure out the, name, the meanings of these kingdoms and who the clay kingdom is, and then we'll know actually when Jesus is coming back. And some of that's fine and some of that's good, but I think there's something far more obvious for us in this passage this morning in the context of what I've just been talking about. So I don't know whether you've ever woken up with a dream in the middle of the night. I don't know whether you've ever woken up and it really, really bothered you. And how long did you dwell on that? Because it would seem that Nebuchadnezzar, he's really dwelling on this. In fact, it's really, really upset him. He's threatened to kill everybody. Everybody in the, every rule, every sort of government official, every prophesy. He seems to be really, really set on destruction because this dream has really, really bothered him. He is entirely freaking out. How many of your dreams have led you to that place? I don't know, but I want to suggest there's a reason for this. And the reason for that is this dream to him 
Well, actually, the meaning of this dream is really obvious. He can't quite articulate, but he knows. See, this dazzling figure with feet of clay, who is that? Who is that that he describes in this dream? Well, next week we'll look at chapter 3 and we'll see that the reason Nebuchadnezzar is so upset about this dream is that all of his life, or at least for a number of years, he's wanted to build a huge dazzling statue as a monument to himself. He's always wanted it. See, he's had a dream. Like most people, he's had an ambition, a plan, a, a big dream. It's a dream of a kingdom. And it's a dream of his kingdom. And it's a dream that, well, he'll make himself great. And this dazzling figure is the way he wants the world to see him. A towering colossus of power looming over the city. And he's been planning. And this is his dream, his kingdom. And on the face of it, he's done really quite well in in pursuing this dream. He's probably the most powerful man in the world at the time. He's probably one of the most powerful men in the world of all time. But then the dream comes. And it says, well, you know, you've got feet of clay. The dream comes and says, well, it looks glorious on the top. But basically underneath, you've got feet of clay. Your foundation is weak. So weak, in fact, that a rock, a stone, a, a, not even a big boulder, a rock, a stone can come and, and knock the whole thing down. And he's scared to death. He doesn't really know what it means, but I think we do. You see, you can read this both individually and you can read it cosmically. Most of us have a dream, a plan, an ambition. It's fair, I think, to say. And actually, most of us want to be dazzling. We want to create something whereby people would notice us or we would get some sort of recognition. People would acknowledge us. That people would see that we are actually really something special. We are something worth noticing. And we do it, of course, in lots of different ways. Some of us with our looks, we spend hours in the gym or exercise classes or money at the beauty parlour or at stylists and half street shops. And some of us do look incredible. No doubt. People look dazzling sometimes. Maybe it's not with bodies or appearances. Sometimes they have ambitions and dreams to build something, to show something, that they've got something in them, that they've got the stuff to be successful. And here's the thing God says to Nebuchadnezzar, which I think he says to all of us. If you build your greatness, if you build your life on anything other than me, you're going to be haunted. You're going to be haunted with these kind of dreams and fears. Why? Well, if you build your life on popularity, you'll be driven, you'll be scared by social media and your views, hits, watches if they go up and down. If you build your life on popularity, if you build your life on money, you're always looking, worried, concerned about the markets, things that are happening. There's your investments, where are they? If you build your life on looks, You'll be scared of what's happening, perhaps, in the mirror. Whatever you build your life on, it's got feet of clay. It's fragile if it's not from me, says God. You know what? At some point, God says, at some point, something's going to come into your life to show you what your foundation is. Something's going to come into your life that's going to reveal what your foundation is. And it, is, it isn't of his kingdom. If it isn't of my kingdom, says God, it's coming down. 
It's coming down. Someday my kingdom will come, says God, and it will smash the systems of the world. And a new kingdom will arrive. And it won't work the other way that kingdoms have in the past. It won't be based on glory. It won't be based on your glory, but on mine, says God. It's not based on war, but peace. It's not based on oppression, but on justice. That's the meaning of the dream. And see, it's actually quite a practical thing. Because I think one of the things that really bother us, and we've explored this a few minutes ago, is when we don't have enough rules, musicians, businessmen or whatever, well, here's the rule you can take to the bank if you like. The difference, where do we find the difference? How do we understand how to navigate? Well, how do we ask the question, how do we navigate this well? Well, we look at our foundation. We ask these questions. Why are we doing it? Whose, whose kingdom are you building? Are you constructing a, a dazzling self? Something you want the world to see that speaks of you. Why are you doing it? What's your motivation? And you know what? I think this really brings into something into light, which is really challenging. See, because I think if, if there were rules, if a nice set of simple rules... We do these things, we don't get involved, we stick to our rules. But you can say I'm not breaking any rules. But still our motivation actually can still be wrong. Actually we can follow all the rules we like, but actually our hearts can still be in the wrong place. See, rules you can actually manoeuvre. Rules you can stretch a little bit. But the question of why... The question of who, there's no fudging that, if we're truly honest. See, as Christians, I think we struggle with this. And I think we struggle because there's a reason why, and I think it's this. Perhaps we don't know this well enough. You see, in the eyes of Christ, you, I, all of us, there's nothing that can make us more valuable. Each one of you, in the eyes of Christ, already dazzle. There's nothing you need to do to make yourself more dazzling to Jesus. And that is all the security actually we need. Because, it, you know, it's, it's all grace. It's all my grace, my friends, to quote a phrase. The gospel is this, you are really saved and it's all grace. It's nothing to do with whether you're a dazzling person, whether you're a better person or not. The gospel is grace, a gift you don't deserve. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty, actually. That's one of the reasons why we can we can exist in the way that Jeremiah is suggesting we can exist, with tolerance. Because we understand that we're not perfect, that we're not righteous, other than what the righteousness that Christ gives to us. And so we should understand other people's unrighteousness. It should help us in community and relationship to recognise that it's God, nothing else. 
Here's the question I want to leave you with this morning effectively, and it's, it's a question I think it poses for all of us. Everybody's building a kingdom. You and I are building kingdoms. Whose are you building? What's his foundation? See, you and I are called to be Christians. Christians in a non-Christian world, we're called to be a blessing to it. How do we do that? Well, we go into it and we seek to prosper, but we keep a watch of our foundations and we remember that we're a work of grace. Nothing more, nothing less. Take a moment to pray together and then we'll worship live. Father, we thank you for your gift of grace today. Notice in this passage, Lord, that the rock, the rock that comes is not cut out by human hands. It's nothing of human work, but it's supernatural. We thank you, Father God, that your supernatural work in our lives through Jesus Christ brings us into relationship with you, places us our feet on a rock, gives us a foundation to stand for. Father, we recognize today that the world might not see it that way. They might look at the rock we stand on and think of it as worthless and valueless. But we, Lord, we know that there is strength and there is hope and there is peace and there is joy because ultimately, Your kingdom will stand. Your kingdom will reign. Your kingdom will overcome. And Father, in the midst of all that we are at the moment, Father God, we check again our foundations and we ask, Lord, that you you speak to us. You speak to us. Lord, and you you speak your words of of love and grace to us at this time. Father, would you assure us again of how dazzling we are in your eyes. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.